The world's billionaires are using artificial intelligence and the power of corporations to control your life, to change your values and transform society. This is all part of something called the Great Reset, which sounds like a conspiracy, but unfortunately and terrifyingly, it is extremely real. And there really is no better person to talk about this than one of my favorite guests, and that is Justin Haskins. He's just written a new book uh, with Glenn Beck called Dark Future, Uncovering the Great Reset's Terrifying Next Phase. So this can be an overwhelming conversation. We've talked about it several times, but there is optimism and positivity that is woven throughout this conversation. It's going to be a two-part conversation because with Justin, I could talk three hours. Oh my goodness, this discussion is absolutely mind-blowing, so important for us to understand. So today, we're going to talk about where we are as far as the Great Reset goes, the phase that we're in right now, what it looks like, what efforts are being made to push back against it. We're gonna rehash some of the things we've talked about in the past, but also layer that with new information that Justin has through his incredible research. And then tomorrow, we'll talk specifically about artificial intelligence and how that's manifesting itself and what this is going to look like and what their plans actually are. And again, how we can push back against it because we do have the power to do so. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com, code Allie. Justin Haskins, thanks so much for taking the time to join us again. All right, we're going to get into some of the craziness as we always do. But first, let's talk about your book. This is now multiple books that you've written or helped write about The Great Reset. This one is Dark Future, Uncovering The Great Reset's Terrifying Next Phase. Um, Justin, I will just say that the title of this book does not make me feel hopeful. I've been talking to you for a few <laughs> years now about The Great Reset. And about how terrifying it is. And you're telling me that there is a next phase that is terrifying. Okay, tell us. Just tell us. We should, we, we need to know. Right. Yeah. I mean, I wish I had better news, but unfortunately, not great news. Um, I think it's really important that people understand this information. There, there really is no book like this on the market today. I'm not sure anyone has exactly done a book like this. So Glenn and I really wanted to do something unique. Uh, while we were doing research for the last book about the Great Reset, laying out the foundation for social credit scores in the United States, woke corporations, explaining why society uh, seems to be falling apart, why it's bursting at the seams, why nothing makes any sense anymore. One of the things that we came across was this movement amongst Davos elites, and, and that includes the World Economic Forum and, and all those people, but also Joe Biden and John Kerry and all of the people who are in our own government as well. One of the things we came across is that they are planning for a future. They're not just looking at how to transform America today. They're, they're looking at how to transform America over the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And the primary way they plan to do it is to transform the, the world through emerging technologies like 
artificial mm -hmm. intelligence, like central bank digital currencies, uh, like quantum computing and algorithms that are that are directing public policy decisions and even sentencing decisions and criminal court cases, um, all kinds of really crazy stuff that's going on with technology. Uh, the the elites. And big corporations and big tech companies, they want to use this technology to change the world. And the way that they're planning on doing that is by embedding all of these technologies with uh, ESG, with social credit scores, with woke ideology, so that in the future, artificial intelligence and a whole bunch of other technologies have these left-wing values uh, embedded in them, designed in them right from the very start. And so as these things become more influential in our lives, as they become more influential in government, the world is going to shift toward left-wing values. And most people will wake up and they won't even realize why it happened or how it happened or who's making these decisions. Everything around them will just be completely different. Uh, and so this book documents that. It shows what these plans are. It talks about mass surveillance and mass data collection and how exactly in the future you won't own anything. Lots of topics are covered in this. Uh, we even get into the war in Ukraine a little bit and some of the stuff that's going on there and how all that relates. So as I said, I mean, I, I really truly believe, I mean, Glenn and I spent over a year on this. I really don't think there's any book that has ever been done that's quite like this more than 1,200 or about 1,200 citations in the book. Uh, just a massive, massive research effort. So I, I really hope people take the time to check it out. Even if they don't buy it, borrow a copy from somebody else, go to the library and get a copy there if you really don't want to buy it. I mean, you should buy it, but, but if you're not going to buy it, at least do that because the information is too important to, to pass up. Okay, I have about I have about eleven thousand questions to ask about everything that you just said. So let's back up a little bit because even though you've been on the show several times, there are always new people joining in. People that believe it or not don't know what you're talking about when you talk about the Great Reset <laughs> or talk about the World Economic Forum. So we are when we say the Great Reset, we are talking about a plan mostly led by people at the World Economic Forum, Davos, these major billionaire elites and major corporations and then powerful people in uh, different governments around the world that are basically trying to change the way the world works. So no more um, nationalism, like particular national interest, no more private property. Uh, basically, we're all supposed to have this one large global cohesive society ruled by, I mean, I hate to say one world government because it sounds, people think conspiracy when I say that, or maybe they think apocalypse when I say that, but really that's kind of what it is. Everyone is governed under the same rules. Um, you don't have any kind of like a personal community or family-centered or country-centered interest. We are all working towards this goal, I guess, of stopping climate change, of sharing everything, of getting rid of racism and inequality and all of this stuff. That's how they kind of present it. And so there are a variety of ways that they have tried to start this Great Reset. And typically they use kind of climate change as the moral premise that in order to save the world, we have to drastically change how people travel, how people live, how people spend money, 
how people form relationships, how people understand information, how people define truth, right, wrong, all of this stuff. They've been working really hard through the levers of power that they have, through corporations, through governments, in order to basically change how the world works to gain more central power, <laughs> right? I mean, I yeah. don't even know if I'm explaining it exactly correctly because there's so much within that. There's so many different things to touch on within that, but that's like big picture, 10,000 foot perspective of kind of what's going on. Can you help us get a little bit more specific? Like what right. what is that over the past 10 years? What has it looked like? Right. So the I, I think you laid it out really well. I think that in a more specific uh, way, how exactly are they planning to make these transformations? Most of the effort that's being made is through the financial system and then by extension through Wall Street and corporations. So the idea is we can transform society by controlling what corporation, how corporations behave. Because really, when you think about it, Corporations are more than half the U.S. economy. Uh, much of our culture, much of what we do and see on television and on the Internet is all shaped by corporate action. And in the past, corporations traditionally, like all businesses in a market-based economy, or they're basing their, their decisions on what products and services they offer people uh, largely on supply and demand and what they think consumers want. And sometimes there's a little bit of guesswork in that, but that's basically the motivating factor. We want to make more money by providing people with goods and services they want. Well, the whole point of the Great Reset was to get all of the most influential institutions, banks, central banks, big corporations, Wall Street firms like BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street, Global Advisors and things like that, all on the same page, so that instead of looking at consumer demand as a way of determining what products and services should look like, we're going to transform the world by forcing people, in effect, to accept whatever products and services we think uh, people should have in order to not only battle climate change, but change culture, right? So if you want to know why Target is is going all in on you know uh, LGBTQ stuff? Is it because Target cares about LGBTQ suddenly and they didn't care about it before, or is it because consumers actually want this stuff and that they're clamoring to get more of? No, of course not. It's neither of those things. The reason why they're doing it is because they are being pressured to do it through the financial system, through these great reset type policies. Um, and it goes well, it goes back way before anything called the Great Reset existed. It's been around in a lot of different iterations for a while. But the idea is to use money through the financial system and the massive amounts of money printing that have been going on over the past decade. Use that money, use the banks, use Wall Street, use uh, BlackRock and things like that to transform society regardless of what people want. So when Bud Light makes a decision that makes absolutely no sense by hiring a transgender spokesperson to sell beer to a bunch of people who really are not, that they don't find that appealing at all, the reason why they did that is not because they thought their customers wanted it. They were doing it because that's where the, that's where the Wall Street money, that's where the banking money, that's, what, that's where all of that is going. And they're chasing those dollars, not the dollars that regular consumers yeah. have. 
And so that I think is how the great reset works. And so ESG social credit scores and things like that is, is the sort of control dial for how elites are transforming society. It's how they're pushing these changes. It's how they know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are in the economy. I think that's, but that's the idea behind the great reset is to transform everything so that Europe and America and eventually the whole world all look the same, both culturally in terms of their social contracts and their governing structures and everything. Um, and it's all being done through the private sector rather than just through government mandates. So basically, these ESG scores, the environmental, the social and the governance, these companies are trying to get a high score on all of these things. Environmental, obviously, they're doing things ostensibly to push back against climate change and to help the environment. Social would be pro-LGBTQ pro so-called racial equity, pro BLM, they happen to all be progressive values, which I do want to talk about in a second, which it's just interesting. It's interesting. Um, and then the governance piece, who they're supporting, what kind of policies they're supporting, again, mostly kind of progressive policies. And so they want a high score on all of those things so that they make sure that they are having the approval, not of their consumers, but of their shareholders. You mentioned these major, huge global companies, these behemoth companies like BlackRock and Vanguard, and then like you mentioned, the Wall Street dollar. So that's what they're looking to. They're looking to their approval, not the approval of the consumer, because that's really how they're making their money and how they're grounding their power, those ESG scores. Now, this might be a very like stupid question, but I was thinking as you were explaining all of this, which we've talked about several times, but like where where exactly did this start? Like who is who is calculating these ESG scores? Like, is there someone in a room that's saying, okay, you have a good ESG score. And so like, let's post that somewhere so that BlackRock can see what your ESG score is. Who is calculating these ESG scores and who came up with ESG? Was it Davos where they sit in a room and in, you know, 2001 and they decided that this was going to happen or like, what was the, what was the origin of it and who is controlling it right now? Yeah, so there are a whole bunch of uh, ESG scoring metrics uh, that exist. Um, the World Economic Forum, the Davos people, they created uh, an ESG scoring uh, system that they hope is going to become sort of the standard bearer throughout the Western world because there are a bunch of them. That's actually one of the main complaints from these corporations participating in it is that there's too many different systems. But for the most part, mm. there's a handful of really uh, influential ones. And they they all are tied to various parts of the financial system. Um, for mm -hmm. example, Moody's Investor Service, which a lot of people have probably heard of, a big Wall Street firm. They do a lot of bond ratings and things like that. Um, they have an ESG scoring system. And that ESG scoring system impacts bond ratings. Um, bonds are sort of like a, a way for corporations to raise capital uh, governments do this as well to raise capital for various projects or things like that. Um, they will offer, um, they'll ask for money and in return for that money, they'll promise to pay back that money plus interest. Okay. That's what a bond is. Your bond rating is your likelihood that you're going to pay this back. That's what it's supposed to be. But now it's your likelihood that you'll pay it back plus 
how well you score on ESG and other woke metrics. Okay, so both mm-hmm. of those things are now tied into it. Um, so you have you have ESG scores from Moody's and from Fitch Ratings, which is another big company that does this kind of thing. You have um, all you have you have companies that are dedicated just entirely to this, and every big corporation has basically an ESG department whose sole job is to produce ESG annual reports touting how well they're scoring on these various ESG metric systems so that they can be in the good graces of these Wall Street investment firms and others. And it's not just Wall Street investment firms. It's also banks and financial institutions who are saying, we're not going to do business with people or or even whole industries if they score really poorly on on their ESG metrics. So it's it's Wall Street, it's central banks, and then uh, it's it's uh, it's Wall Street, it's private banks. There's some central bank activity in this area now, and then there's even talk in mostly in Europe right now to make this a government mandated system, so that you're going to have a government mandated. ESG scoring system. And if you don't comply with that system, then you're going to be uh, either pe- you'll be penalized in some way or not allowed to, to operate within the European Union. Um, and that's going to tie up all kinds of American companies that ha- that do business in Europe or do business with businesses who are located in Europe. And so this system is, is expanding dramatically. Um, and yeah. there's a whole bunch of different players involved in it. But I think that the most important thing for people to keep in mind is that almost every large corporation, one survey I saw recently, I think it was a uh, 96% or so of us major corporations have ESG reports that they produce every single year. Okay. They have ESG departments, whole, whole staffs, just trying to prove how woke they are. And that is the that is the thing that is pushing all of these changes that we see in our society. It's all happening through this this ESG uh, uh, system and all of these forces that are being coercive or or even imposing these values on corporations so that they have no reason um, to resist it. They want to go along with it because they'll make more money and they'll keep their investors happy and they'll keep the banks happy and they'll keep the government happy. And that's all they really care about, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, some companies, it seems like care more than others. And I'm curious about that. Like some companies we know have a great quote unquote ESG score. And then other major companies like surprisingly like Fidelity Investment, they don't have a great or a high, super high ESG score. And I've seen some of the policies that they've enacted over the years, maybe because they have a lot of, um, like they have a lot of locations in the southern part of America. Like, wh- why don't companies who you would think would really care about their ESG scores or you would think would be super progressive, like, why do they, I don't know, hinder themselves at all? Like, some companies aren't going all in on ESG stuff, even Bud Light you could see that they kind of did a little bit of an about face after the whole Dylan Mulvaney thing. And they kind of got freaked out and they started, you know, producing commercials that would appeal to the frat parties in, you know, Alabama and Georgia. And they put the marketing lady on leave who had chosen Dylan Mulvaney. So it does seem like some of these major corporations, while they say they care about their ESG scores, they're not going all in and they still care at least somewhat about their conservative employees and consumers. So why is that tension still here? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, a lot of it depends on the people who are running the ESG. So there's a few different things. The, the, the Black Rocks of the world who own massive amounts of shares, where do they, how, because it really all comes down to how uh, much you want to enforce it, right? So you can have a bad ESG score, but if, but if BlackRock doesn't want to punish you for having a, a bad ESG score, for example, or uh, State Street Global Advisors or uh, Bank of America, if they don't, if they don't want to punish you, then they don't necessarily have to, right? So it kind of comes down to how important it is for them to, in, to uh, hold these companies' feet to the fire. And in some cases, they really want to do that, and they're trying really hard to get those companies to change. And in other cases, they use it as just sort of a light pressure to get companies to change. So why is it that Bud Light is not being you know, forced to go all in and is only kind of halfway in well because beer really isn't that important to transforming society <laughs> i mean that's the main reason um some of the companies that have sort of mediocre or bad esg scores are th are the companies that are most important and the reason they have bad esg scores is to try to force them to transform even more than they already are one of the best examples of this is that Prior to all the really crazy social media bias shutdowns and all of that stuff, when they were when they were still somewhat uh, trying to be a little bit fair, um, you still had Donald Trump, for example, on these social media platforms. There was an ESG report that was produced about Facebook. And in the ESG report, Facebook got a very, very mediocre rating. And then when you actually read through why they got the mediocre rating, which you had to go read like uh, a report cited by another report and all of this other stuff, it wasn't necessarily easy to find. They did that on purpose. What you discovered was the reason they got a bad ESG score was because they didn't do enough censoring. They needed to do more censoring. And, and even though they had been censoring conservatives for a while, they weren't doing enough of it. And one of the main things that people uh, that these people who are giving them a low score pointed to was that Donald Trump was still on the platform. Why is Donald Trump, even mm -hmm. as he was president of the United States, they were complaining that the president of the United States was allowed to be on Facebook's platform. So not long after that, it was probably within a year of that happening. Donald Trump was no longer on Facebook's platform. That's the kind of thing that you that that's the kind of transformation that you want to see if you're trying to make, uh, you're trying to rework society, right? So you don't want to give companies good ESG scores that are the important ones, um, unless they're doing mm. everything you want. Otherwise they have no reason to change society even more than they already right. are. So I think that's the main reason why you're seeing some companies are really being pushed into it. And then other companies are just kind of dancing around it. Um, it's because BlackRock doesn't care about every company. Uh, Bank of America doesn't care about every company. They only care about the really important ones. It does seem, though, like even Target, when there was that huge backlash against the disgusting products that were being marketed towards children back in May and June, they, I mean, they issued a statement. They moved some of the stuff to the back of the store. Maybe, I mean, they said it was for safety or whatever. But there does still seem to be a little bit of trepidation when it comes to upsetting part of the customer base. And I guess it's just something that they're still trying to balance as this transformation of society keeps you know, uh, occurring. And so maybe one day they won't care about the consumer at all. They'll just be able to say, okay, you can't shop here and we don't care 
um, whether, you know, you raise a ruckus about it. But does it, I mean, in the interim, like while we are still in the midst of this transformation, does it have any effect for people to say, okay, I'm not going to use these companies that are actively working against me in the name of ESG? Yeah. Oh, oh w- without a doubt. I mean, the, 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 the whole goal here is still to make money <laughs> for these corporations. It's just they're tr- what they're trying to do is balance making money from Wall Street and banks and central banks and government with making money from consumers. And there's a balancing act here because what, the, what Wall Street wants is they want to make money too, but they also want these corporations to transform society, right? Not everybody on Wall Street, but the, the really big firms that we're talking about here. And the same thing is true with banks as well. They also want to make money, but they also want to see the end of all fossil fuels, Okay, that's an open goal from the largest banks in the United States. So there's a balancing act that's happening here. And what I think is going on is you you have these corporations being pushed in the direction of these various um, uh, goals, these various ideologies, and they're testing the limits of what they can get away with. And sometimes they go over boundaries and they didn't realize that they were going to do that until it happens. And then they have to retreat back a little bit. But what they're being told behind the scenes is, look, you're doing the right things. Give it enough time. Society is going to change. Culture is going to change. Um, the education system and, uh, and the media and Hollywood and music industry and all of that is working. It's going full steam to change everything. You're not going to have this pushback forever. So don't worry about it. You're going to be taken care of. Everything's going to be fine. Don't You don't need to totally run away from this whole thing. And so... I think that's really what's what's going on here. Some they, they still want to make money from consumers. There's no doubt about that. But consumers are not the most important thing. Otherwise, they would never have even tried these things in the first place, right? So what when people resist against this, when they boycott these companies, when they when they come out, you know, saying, look, we're not going to be a part of this. This is not my values. It absolutely has a huge effect. It does slow things down. But at the end of the day, if we don't fix the other parts of the problem, then eventually the culture will change to the point where people who are doing this are in such a minority position that what they want doesn't really matter anymore. And that that's going to happen unless we fix the education system, unless we stop all of this manipulation from Wall Street and Hollywood and the music industry and all of that, too, Um, because basically they're playing a long game here. They're not playing for right now. Mm -hmm. They're playing for the next 20, 30 years. And we have to start thinking that way as well. And why progressivism? Why gender fluidity? Why? so-called equity is it because these ideas these progressive ideas basically make the family and the individual and societies and communities and nations weaker i mean that's that's what i think i highly doubt that george soros like really has some just i don't know deep sense of compassion for a gender confused child like i it i mean i think part of it is also with that the pharmaceutical companies how much money they make and all of that. But to me, it's because progressivism almost always means weakness. It tears down the things that make us strong, that make us cohesive, that give us a good foundation, a sense of national pride. Um, so is that why, like, is that why it's the progressive values that they're being pushed to espouse? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, 
there's actually like quite a few theories about the motivating factors of say BlackRock and um, you know State Street and Wall Street firms and banks and stuff. Um, there, there's a, a really good argument that can be made that they're the reason they're doing it is purely just money. It has nothing to do with anything other than money. But the reason why they're they think that they can make money off of it is because they know that government institutions and central banks and others have been so infiltrated with people who think like George Soros that the idea is they 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 have to do this if they want to still chase these big government subsidies and massive bailouts and money printing and all of this other stuff. And so I think what you have is you have very different goals. The, 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 they all have, um, I think a lot of the corporations are just chasing money. A lot of the banks even might just be chasing money. They're trying to keep the government happy and all of that. I think the people in government, the people in academia, the people who are pushing this from that other perspective have more of an ideological bent that's similar to what you just described. Um, I think that is absolutely the case. You can easily prove, though, that this is not really about compassion or kindness or diversity or anything like that. It's very easy to do. The way you do it is, is this. Um, and no one, I've never heard anybody from Davos be able to disprove this in any way. Uh, if these companies and if these banks and if the world economic forum, and if all these people really did just care about all these goals, then the last thing that they would do is be completely 100% in bed with countries like China who are notorious human rights violators on on based on basically any metric that you can come up with and yet despite that they're all completely in bed with them i mean blackrock has sweetheart deals with china klaus schwab is going to china praising how wonderful they are uh, we have so much we have so much evidence that shows the tight uh, connection between corporate america and corporate europe and the banking system and all of that and china where they are notorious human rights violators. You can't say you care about all these different things, including climate change, including the environment, because China doesn't care about those things either. You can't say you care about those things and then turn around and do massive amounts of business, hundreds of billions of dollars in, of business with China. That just doesn't make any sense at all. So this is definitely not about helping people or being compassionate or anything else. I think it's about cronyism. It's about corruption. It's about power. It's about money. It's about transforming society. It, depending on the player you're talking about, they have different goals, but they all have one thing in common. And that thing is they have a reason to want to transform the United States. And that's exactly what they're doing. And yet right now, there is kind of this parallel economy of among conservatives happening. And I mean, I have a lot of these sponsors on my show. They're Christian conservative companies. They're not major corporations, but they're growing successful because people are realizing the things that we're talking about, or even on a more like a obvious scale, these companies are supporting values that we don't agree with. And so they're looking for alternatives. And so how long do you think that this is going to be allowed to go on, that we're allowed to have this America-loving, um, you know, pro-life meat company, diaper company, makeup company, that, again, they're not major corporations maybe transforming society, but more and more people are starting to vote with their dollar. I can't imagine the people who are trying to transform society through corporations are going to tolerate that for very 
for very long. But do you have some hope that you I mean, I see that shift happening definitely since COVID, this parallel economy that's going on. And I'm excited about it, but I don't want to get my hopes too high. Yeah, the 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 whole um so <laughs> first the not so good news. The not so good news is the reason why the left has chosen this strategy for the great reset working through the financial institutions and government but mainly through financial institutions and Wall Street is because even in a even if you have these these new companies that emerge if you can get all of the banks and all of the financial institutions together, insurance companies are part of that too, by the way, and they all say, we're not gonna do business with these people. So payment processors aren't gonna do business with you, banks are not going to do business with you, uh, big tech companies are not going to do business with you, then you basically can't exist. You can't, you just can't function without a bank account in this, in this society, you just can't. And you could start your own bank, but all the banks, for the most part, most of the banks are basically beholden in one fashion to, or another to larger banks and eventually to the Federal Reserve. And the Federal Reserve is ultimately made up of a bunch of private banks as well. And so they've come up with a really ingenious way to, to force kind of everybody to go along with it. Once they realize that they could print lots and lots and lots of money, give it to the financial institutions, and then... Basically, the financial institutions could tie all kinds of strings to it through ESG and other stuff. They realized that there really is almost no way to stop it from without some sort of regulatory changes. And uh, I think they were banking on nobody ever figuring out that this was happening until it was too late. And that kind of upended everything when they launched a great reset campaign in 2020. And everybody was like, whoa, what, you're talking about some crazy stuff here. And once people started looking underneath the hood, they realized all of this stuff is going on. Now, the hopeful part of all of this is it can be stopped through regulatory changes that basically say, look, financial institutions, if you are a bank, if you are a um, if you're a bank, if you're a central bank, if you are an insurance company, you have to offer products and services to people based on financial considerations. That's that's your industry. That's your business. You can't say we're not going to offer you a bank account because you said something nice about Ron DeSantis on Twitter and we don't like Ron DeSantis. Right now they can do that mm. and in a lot of places. And so that's that kind of thing, uh, which is starting to be talked about by state lawmakers. It has been formally proposed in a bunch of states. In Florida, they actually passed a law that's that stops banks from discriminating in that way. And, other, and, and so it's the first one that's ever been done like that. There are bills in Congress. Unfortunately, Republicans don't have control of Congress, so they can't get it passed yet. But they have bills in Congress that would do that. So if Republicans do end up taking control of Congress and the White House at some point, they probably will try to pass a bill that will stop banks and financial institutions and insurance companies from doing this kind of discrimination. And then you really can have a parallel economy because the bank and the insurance company can't go to you and say, well, you don't have solar panels on your house, so we're not going to give you a mortgage or we're not going to right. give you insurance or whatever. You don't drive the right kind of car, so we're not going to insure the car. We're not going to give you a loan to buy one. These are the kinds of things that they're starting to do. And there are ways to stop it. And we need both the parallel economy and those regulatory changes. And unfortunately, we don't have either one fully fleshed out yet, but there is reason to believe that we are at least 
talking about it and moving in the right direction, which is a really great yeah. thing because just a couple of years ago, nobody was really talking about this in the same way. Right. Right. And obviously you and Glenn have played a big part in that. Is it, does it break down among the politicians who get it, who really understand what's going on? And I would guess that they're few and far between, even like on the Republican side. Um, does it split though, typically along Republican Democrat lines? Like, is there any bipartisan agreement that, ooh, this is probably not great? I don't really like the idea of the world's billionaires being able to dictate American society and, you know, personal choices that Americans make based on their kind of arbitrary metrics. Um, or is it, I mean, is it just really a conservative position to push back against this stuff? Yeah, for, from from what we've seen, and I've worked in, I've worked with state lawmakers and states all across the United States on this issue in Florida and in Kansas and in New Hampshire and a whole bunch of other places in Idaho. Uh, some of these places are very deep, deep, deep red places where Republicans have run everything for a very long time, like Idaho, for example, is one of those things. And what we found is that the, the, the people who are most likely to stop this are actually establishment Republicans, not anybody else. Democrats, for establishment the most part, Republicans. Yes, establishment Republicans, the, the, the people like, who like are you... usually in positions of leadership. Okay. I didn't know what you mean by establishment. Cause when I think establishment, I think like Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell, those people too. Yeah. That, that they, they, okay. those kinds of people, but at the state level, they're the, they're the ones most okay. likely to derail this. Mm -hmm. Now, Democrats for the most part say they're opposed to it. Uh, they, they, they don't, I mean, well, they say that they're opposed to rules that would regulate these things. And they have bizarrely in many places taken the position. It's like you're in the twilight zone where they start talking about the necessity of this is the free market and we have to promote free market economics. And all of a sudden they're lecturing people like me about the virtue of free market economics. Whenever we're talking about stopping a bank from denying uh, a person access to banking services purely because they're a Republican. Now I'm being told that's free market economics. It's absurd. But um, Democrats, you know, there there is a wing of the Democratic Party. Ironically, it's really the, the socialist wing of the Democratic Party that really does not like this sort of thing. Um, they don't want big corporations and big banks and financial institutions controlling society. They think government should control society, which I don't agree with and you don't agree with. That's what they want. But they definitely don't want the Davos crowd doing it. And that's why you don't ever see people like AOC or Bernie Sanders or people like that in Davos at the World Economic Forum giving speeches about ESG. You don't ever see that because really this is about elites versus everyone else not it's not really a socialist movement per se it's more of an elitist movement it's more about centralizing the power power and wealth um and so in places where we've had republican leadership say hey we have to put a stop to this we've seen the most amount of progress and that's why in florida they were able to pass sweeping uh, anti-ESG legislation relatively quickly without a whole lot of pain or resistance. And it was because it started at the top, right from the very beginning. Ron DeSantis came out and said, we're not going to allow this. The head of the Senate came out and said, we're not going to allow this. And the head of the House came out and said, we're not going to allow it. They all came out together at the same time and everybody fell into line. In other places, you have the leadership, of, the Republican leadership of these legislatures, like this happened in, in Idaho, where the, 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 the Republican leaders came out and said, 
sorry, but you know, we can't regulate banks or sorry, but uh, we can't regulate insurance companies or we're not going to go along with this for X, Y, Z other reason, or they kill it and they put it off to another time or they change the bill at the last minute. Um, so I think that that's the biggest obstacle that we face. Uh, I think it really does come from them. Republicans actually control most states in the United States and they have for a while. The problem is we can't get the establishment Republicans, we can't get the Mitch McConnell types to do the right thing on this, probably, unfortunately, because they've been corrupted by big business and special interests and bank lobbyists. Uh, and we know that from in some cases for a fact that that's what's going on. Um, but hopefully enough public pressure can force these people to do the right thing. Okay. So you said that it's establishment Republicans that are most like, like including like a McConnell or Lindsey Graham to push back against this, but it's hard to get them to actually do the right thing. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm saying they're the ones that are, they're the ones that are most likely to try to kill any attempt to stop oh, ESG okay. and I misunderstood. And stuff like that. Yeah. I, I misunderstood. Yeah, so, okay. I was saying, I thought that you were saying the opposite, actually. I thought that you were saying that they are the most likely to uh, be anti-ESG. That makes a lot more sense now. So the establishment yeah. Republicans are the ones who are the most likely to oppose, to be anti-anti. ESG stuff for everything that yeah. you just explained. They don't want to regulate it. banks. They don't want to stop them from doing the ESG stuff. They don't want to regulate the insurance companies and stop them from using ESG as a way to control people. Okay. The establishment are the ones that are standing in the Got way it. of the reforms that we need to fix this problem. So when you're looking at the presidential candidates on the Republican side, I mean, I think we know where Joe Biden or anyone who almost anyone who runs Democrat. I, I don't know about RFK Jr., but um, I think we know where the Democrat ticket would stand. But when you're looking at the primary field on the Republican side, what candidates do you think get it the most and would be most likely to say, nope, we're going to do everything within our power to stop this stuff? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I've actually uh, reached out to a lot of the presidential candidate campaigns to get an answer to that question. Um, I think that uh, the the ones that immediately come to mind, the ones that I'm 100 percent certain about are uh, Ron DeSantis, based on what he's done in Florida, would probably be the toughest or as tough as anybody else. I, I doubt anyone would be tougher than him on ESPN. SG, the, 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 if he took what he did in Florida and he did it at the federal level, it would, it would go a long way towards solving this problem, uh, for as long as that law is in place. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy has been a huge opponent of ESG. There's a lot of good things that he said about ESG when it comes specifically to the financial institution part of it, which I think is the biggest part of the problem. He sometimes comes across as maybe a little bit weaker on that than like a Ron DeSantis would be. But for the most part, I think he would probably do the right thing as well. When Donald Trump was in office as president, one of the last things that his administration did was try to stop this problem by passing a regulation through uh, an agency called the OCC. That's the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. They regulate a lot of uh, banks. And they, they passed a rule basically saying large banks can't discriminate on non-financial factors. And it, and, it, and it went into, it actually had been approved. It went through the this really complicated regulatory process. And then before it could actually be enforced on anybody, Joe Biden came into office and then immediately killed it. That was literally the first week in office. He killed that regulation. Mm -hmm. But that gives hope that that 
Donald Trump or at least people in his administration would be uh, doing the right thing on this as well. Um, I reached out to Nikki Haley's campaign um, and asked about this. And basically I was told, you know, Nikki Haley thinks ESG is terrible, but um, they didn't give me any specifics at all about how she would address it. Uh, Tim Scott and people uh, and some of the other candidates that kind of are on that level really haven't done or said a whole lot about this. So I would say that the, the candidates who are the strongest on this that we know about so far are Vivek Ramaswamy, Ron DeSantis, and, uh, and, and Donald Trump. Those are probably the, the, the three biggest ones that you could re- count on for doing something really positive about this. What did I tell you guys? A fascinating conversation, right? Every time I talk to him, my mind is just blown. And that we haven't even gotten to in this conversation, like what I intended to talk to him about, which is more artificial intelligence. Also, the plan that the UN is cooking up and for basically world domination, um, some of the things that the WEF talked about this summer. I mean, it is wild. And it's so important for us to know. It's so important for us to see the big picture. What is behind all of these social, cultural, moral, legal changes that are going on? There is a huge agenda at play here. And artificial intelligence plays a really big and important part of that. So he's going to break all of that down for us tomorrow. Sorry for having to split this up, but we we just had to. But you do not want to miss tomorrow's conversation because, again, just fascinated, mind-blowing with some more optimism and hope. I promise you that. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, Meet us back here tomorrow. 